companies gravitate towards this pedigree. How good's your resume? Where'd you study? Where'd you work? How similar to me are you? Which has very little to do with how someone can contribute. Alrighty, guys. Greetings and welcome to the 12th episode of Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die. Today's guest is just brilliant. We got the CEO slash co-founder of Vervo, a company that uses AI to help businesses hire talent based on merit, not background. Vervo believes that the best way to hire the right people is to watch them do the job instead of relying on only a resume or referral. Through their processes, they've been able to improve the employee-employer experience in really amazing ways. You want to check this out. Today's conversation is about how Vervo is opening up the hiring funnel to democratize work opportunities. Find out how Vervo is truly disrupting the job landscape for good. We're about to kick it off, so here's something you might be interested in for next year. A brilliant startup like yours needs the best of the best on your team. Are you taking advantage of global talent? Level up your team for more success for only 33% of your usual hiring costs. Go to www.athena.io slash rare right now to learn more. That's www.athyna.io slash rare. Exciting. Good. Well, I've just got my uh, t-shirt out, my swag. My yeah. swaggy, mate. Yeah. Super um, swaggy. But um, do I need to like do some push-ups or? or yeah, if you can, yeah. One one hand push-ups would be good. Are we all all set? All right. In that case, well, uh, welcome to. Too Weird to Live, Too Rare to Die, a, st- a podcast telling stories of founders, investors, and operators working to turn the world we live in into a better place. Um, today, we have Omer Mollard from uh, Vervo on the call. Omer, thanks for, uh, thanks for jumping on and joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Look, um, super interested in, um, in what you do and, and uh, hearing the story of, of Vervo and the future of talent acquisition and so forth. Um, before we do that, though, uh, I'm going to throw it over to my co-host Wallo, who's uh, going to welcome us in with uh, with a song. With a song, over to you, Wallo. Yeah, sorry. Have you been serenaded before, Omar? <laughs> uh, my wife serenades me once a week. Um, You're a lucky man. You're a lucky man. <laughs> so here are some lyrics. And I kind of switched up the style a bit for today's podcast. So here we go, Matthias. I bring my best to the table. You can relax cause I'm able. So let's connect like a cable. Don't need no judgment or label. I bring my best to the table. You can relax cause I'm able So let's connect like a cable Don't need no judgment, no label, label, label 
Ele mama, 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 You can relax cause I'm able So let's connect like a cable Don't need no judgment or label I bring my best to the table You can relax cause I'm able So let's connect like a cable Don't need no judgment or label 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 Yeah, that, that's it for my end, man. <laughs> Let's connect to... like a cable. That's yeah, I, had to... <laughs> <laughs> I had to put that in there. It was such a dad joke. <laughs> I, to... I, yeah. I like the uh, I like the lyrics there at the end too. Afrobeat chanting. Yeah, yeah, you know it, you know it, you know it. Nice. Yeah, thanks. Nice. Hey, um, good work, Wallo. Yeah. I'm at, um, hey, uh, like I said, welcome to the show. Um, before we dive into anything, um, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who you are, where you're from, background, upbringing, wherever you want to start, wherever you want to end, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I live in Melbourne. I, um, I'm married. I have two young children, a five-year-old boy and a a crazy one-year-old girl and a, <laughs> and a dog. And um, we, we live in a, a part of the city that feels like the country. So we live in the forest. Um, we moved here about 18 months ago from the inner city. So, and that's kind of- Whereabouts are you? Whereabouts exactly? Uh, we live in a, um, for people outside of Melbourne, in a place called Eltham South. And Oh yeah, great spot. It's very bush and uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of a big part of our lifestyle now. And um, I enjoy being out in, in nature and uh, I've been, I've probably spent more than half, uh, definitely half, more than half my life in Australia and the other half in Israel. I grew up, uh, I was born in Tel Aviv and spent a large chunk of my childhood there and uh, served in the military, uh, which was a defining time period, three and a half, uh, roughly three and a half years in uh in the military and and then and moved to melbourne went to law school which is where i met my wife and um spent most of my adult life here in in melbourne and um the last few years co-founded this business vervo with my friend david we've been friends for for a long period of time and uh living the dream doing what what I feel like I was born to do nothing, nothing else I'd rather do. So, um, very happy, very challenging, but, um, no regrets. Awesome. Sounds good. Hey, so, um, you mentioned that, um, you grew up in Israel. I know that you, uh, yeah, you you spent some time obviously in the military. Um, what, what was that like? I mean, it's different to the way you would come up in Australia. Obviously we don't have uh, compulsory, military service uh, did you enjoy it what did you learn from it uh, is it something you look back on fondly i certainly didn't enjoy it i think it was <laughs> uh yeah it, it was challenging homesick it was exhausting mm-hmm. um you know lack of freedom so mm-hmm. so it's it a very punishing taxing period of time mentally and physically right. but um especially when i was in a combat unit 
Um, and then I was an officer, so I was in a leadership position. It's a, an unrelenting responsibility for people's lives and for achieving mm-hmm. uh, missions, completing missions. But um, you get pushed to the limit in a lot of ways and uh, it, it does give you great perspective on, mm-hmm. on life. And when we talk about challenging scenarios in the workplace, um, and and I'm, this isn't to be dismissive of, you know, it's not not to say that we don't face challenging scenarios in the workplace, but I've, I've got a broader sort of uh, perspective to fall on and, and think about, well, okay, how challenging is this? Yeah. I, I can look back and say, well, I've been in other situations where the stress level was very different and the yeah. fatigue was greater. Um, and, yeah. and so I can draw on, a more diverse range of experiences also from a leadership perspective um, to have that experience of being a leader at at a young age in a setting where people are under duress and, Mm -hmm. um, and it's not, they're not getting paid to do it. um, Mm -hmm. And that, that, that taught me a a lot as well. So I think that experience shaped um, to some extent shaped me. And um, I learned a lot from that and, um, very influential in how I think about things. For sure. Um, that's super interesting. Your, uh, your resilience must be through the roof in comparison to um, uh, people that haven't been through. Uh, you, you, I guess your, your stress, uh, everything's relative, right? So your, 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 uh, the stress that you would take on in a startup environment relative to, to, to that would be um, quite different. That's interesting. Would you... Would you say it was a good thing, bad thing, if you uh, say, for example, you were still in, in in Israel and you were raising your two young kids? Would you would you want them going through military service or? I mean, I'd like to live in a world where it's not necessary, uh-huh. um, but I live on this planet, and <laughs> in this world, unfortunately, it is necessary. We can debate that, but mm-hmm. um, that's a reality, and 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 so you know. I think from the ages of 18 to 22, there are probably other experiences that um, now maybe you won't come out as resilient and maybe it'll take you longer, Mm -hmm. but I I think net net um, it would be nice if things were easier and you could do them at your own pace. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, but I I kind of didn't ask those questions. I just accepted that this is the reality. This is what Mm -hmm. happens. And so how do I make Mm -hmm. the most out of it? And that's what I tried to do. I just tried to give my best, do my best and come out of it with something. Um, and, and so I look at it like that. I, it's kind of like, it's not something I can erase from my yeah. history. It's just part of my lived experience and who I am today. And I think I'm better for it. Although at the mm-hmm. time I wished many times that, you know, I didn't have to be there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I bet. So, I bet. I bet. Um, so, uh, I'm, uh, I was saying before you jumped on the call and was doing some sound checks and, 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 and so forth with the team. Um, I traveled, uh, I traveled in Latin America for seven months when I was 24, 25. Um, and it was funny because I met around, I don't know how many people I met. I met 10,000 people, you know, I met, I met a lot of, um, fellow travelers and 50% of them, I reckon were Australian, 30% of them were Israeli and 20% of them were the rest of the world. Um, so did you follow suit? Did you do the, uh, did you put a backpack on your back or, or did you come over here to Australia or what did you, did you do the, the typical thing? And 
I'm much more, no, uh, so I'm much more of a snob. So I went to Europe for a month. <laughs> oh, fancy pants. Um, Flashbacking. Flashbacking. <laughs> I, I went to Europe for a month instead of London America for six months. Um, and and then and I did that on the way to moving to Melbourne. Gotcha. So I spent a month gotcha. in Europe. And then I and then I came to Melbourne and I was kind of less in need of um the the sort of six months in india latin america and and the the drugs and that that whole scene and i was more mm-hmm. in need of changing scenery permanently and moving and and so that's what i did i was kind of um made a plan to move to melbourne i i spent part of my childhood in australia i was fortunate to have an australian passport mm-hmm. and and on the way i spent a month in europe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um what do you think it is about so it's it's funny because Obviously, like I mentioned, anecdotally, I genuinely felt like 80% of the people I met were, were um, Aussies and, and Israelis. Uh, but we have 25 million people in Israel, six or seven or whatever it is. Um, oh, there's a, you know, and uh, yeah, obviously when you finish military service, you, you're probably going to want to go out and, and see the go world out. and so forth. But is there anything else that you think gives Israelis that... Um, wanderlusty mindset i guess it's it's a it's incredible how many israelis travel especially yeah. latin latin america i was um again i was saying earlier latin america when i was traveling you had the choice to choose to stay in hostels or israeli hostels that was and anyone can stay in an israeli hostel but i, I was kind of like what is going on here why is there <laughs> why is there yeah. why are these my two options <laughs> the military is part of it but i think the whole uh the way society structured it's a very small place it's hot it's very intense mm-hmm. it's surrounded by arab nations mm-hmm. um they're not all some more friendly than others to israel um for yep. a host of uh, reasons and and it's it's it's, it's like it's this pressure cooker it's hot mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's it's crazy on the roads it's intense there's nowhere to move it's it's small and packed and 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 it's full of people who are curious and um, and and they sort of like um, you know there's uh, Israelis have affinity with um, with the U.S. and other sort of Western liberal uh, democracies, um, but uh, geographically it's in the Middle East. Mm. It's kind of fish out of water <laughs> culturally the way, and, and so mm. you grow up watching hollywood and american tv you're a stone's throw from europe but you're Mm. in the surrounded by desert and Mm -hmm. so i think there's this natural kind of hunger to get out and to see what's going on in all these places that you hear about and see on tv and they're close they're really close and you can't go to the neighboring countries really i mean you can go to jordan and Mm -hmm. a lot of people go and egypt but you know um, you can't drive north into Lebanon. Um, yeah. you, you, you know, there'd be landmines in between and, yeah. and, and Syria. And it's such a shame mm. you know, that you can't do that. And so it's not like, well, here we go to New Zealand and in Europe, yeah. you drive through from Germany to France and whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't do that really in yeah. Israel. Mm-hmm. So you, you go further, you look further. Um, and that, that's sort of what, what I grew up, uh, knowing. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Um, so I've got a, uh, a, a little theory here. I've just, I've just come up with, um, so Israel punch above their weight 
um, massively when it comes to Nobel Prize winners and um, successful startup founders. Would you agree? I mean, I think factually that's true. Yeah. I think that's factually true. I think there are yeah. disproportionately to the amount of popula- of the population. And there are, yeah. um, I think the second, uh, other, not for non-US companies listed on NASDAQ, I think yeah. Canada's number one and Israel's number two. And for a country yeah. that's got, that's tiny, that's extraordinary. And I don't mm-hmm. know the stats on Nobel Peace Prizes, but I'm I, um, sorry, definitely not going to be peace on Nobel Prize. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nobel Peace Prizes don't do so well. Um, <laughs> I think on Nobel Prizes, I don't know the stats, but I wouldn't be surprised if what you're saying. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard um, I, I don't know the stats either, but do you think, because it begs the question why that would be, but do you think that as young people coming up in Israel and obviously once you finish school, you do three or four years, whatever it is, three and a half years of military service, and then potentially, it, it seems like to me, it's a rite of passage to go and travel for six months or, or whatever that is. And, and travel, especially at a young age, and especially to where I've met a lot of Israelis in the past, Latin America, Southeast Asia and so forth, you see how the other side of the world works, really. Um, and I would, I would argue that going through military service and then spending a good amount of time traveling, you would probably have a pretty well-rounded view of the world do, do, do you think that's maybe part of the reason why i i think that, really- that i think that's part of it i think it 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 runs deeper though i think the society values education so that mm. let, let's start with that so when society mm. values education um th- then people are told from a young age you know take school seriously um mm-hmm. do math study mm-hmm. and 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 you know we sort of value like so when i think about australia we have state funerals for athletes mm-hmm. so that's so the message we're sending to people here is if you're a cricketer or a footballer you're at the pinnacle of yeah of society mm-hmm. which yeah you know is kind of crazy um but in israel what you hear about is scientists and mm-hmm. innovators and entrepreneurs and, wow. and and people like that so they're the people who are put on pedestals not so much mm-hmm. now i think israel they'd want to be better at sport as well but mm-hmm. you know notwithstanding that um society values um science innovation education mm-hmm. entrepreneurship and so when that happens the investment goes into those areas they're the people mm-hmm. that you look up to, they're the people you mm-hmm. aspire to. So then you say, so yeah. you grow up saying, I want to be an astronaut or I want to be mm-hmm. the founder of Intel or I want to be yeah. whatever, as opposed to like, I want to be- I want to be, on, I want to be on Big Brother. <laughs> I want to be on Big Brother or I want to be Chris, or I want to be Chris Judd or I want yeah, to be yeah, yeah, yeah. whoever, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and listen, I, I love football. So that's, it's got nothing to do with it, but- I'm answering the question. That's why I think, so that's a big part of it. I think the military then compounds that. So, you know, in the military, um, there are uh, computer and, you know, unit, there are entire departments that um, invest in technology and, and train people in mm-hmm. engineering and software engineering and these kind of things. So there's a lot of people who get their education there. So it's this, it's kind of many, there are many layers to this, mm-hmm. um, and innovation breeds innovation. So um, because there's a lot of STEM talent, 
you know, big tech companies go and open offices in Israel to recruit engineers. Mm -hmm. And so then when you're a kid, you see the logos, they're the ads you see on the freeway. And so, yeah, and it just continues and continues to sort of this cycle. Um, And that, that's how the sort of startup nation uh, developed. Um, so it's, it's, a, I don't think it's one thing. I think it's, yeah. a, it's a lot of things working together to generate that effect. Yeah. Super interesting, isn't it? Um, all right, cool. So, well, leading into what you're doing now, where did, uh, where did Vervo come from? Tell us, um, yeah, tell us, tell us, tell us a little bit about it. You know, how did you get it off the ground? What was the, when did the, the idea spring in your mind? Are you, a, um, are you a tennis fan? Yeah, I don't mind a bit of tennis. Do you like Roger Federer? I love Roger yeah. Federer. Yeah. He's so, my boy. He's my boy. Yeah, so let's talk about <laughs> Federer for a second. So Federer, um, do you know what grades he got in high school? No. Me neither. Um, me neither. <laughs> and um, if you had a coffee with him, you'd probably discover that he's nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you got him to do a personality assessment, you might learn i'm guessing that he's introverted Mm -hmm. Um, but only when you see him on the court do you gain an appreciation for how good he is Mm -hmm. as a player how well he can play um and even if you came back at me and said yeah but he's got all these grand slams that tells you he's good i'd say yeah but a lot of people have won grand slams but federer has this other thing this like elegance or grace Mm -hmm. that you Mm -hmm. have to see that's really what our company's about and what um, one of the things that inspired us. Um, we, we think that everyone has some element of Federer in them and too often that's ignored. And instead what gets uh, used as a signal to make decisions on people's careers is like what grades they get in school and how mm-hmm. long do they work at a certain company and a lot of things like that instead of, well, show me if you can play. Mm-hmm. Um, and so David and I have been friends for, for a, a lot of years, 20 years plus actually. And I worked in fi- in banking and finance for a lot of years and David worked in tech and, um, uh, we, we, and he also, um, ran a wholesale bakery and we, um, and, and as we discussed, I've served in the military and I worked at Red Cross. So we, we've had like a diverse range of experiences and the common mm-hmm. theme that we saw in all these different industries is this disconnect between people trying to get jobs and fulfill their potential and how companies make decisions on people and, yeah. and companies gravitate towards the pedigree. How good's your resume? How, um, yeah. where'd you study? Where'd you work? How similar to me are you? Yeah. Um, which has very little to do with how someone can, contribute Mm -hmm. and coming back to the Federer example you have to see you have to give people an opportunity to showcase their talent in the setting that matters that's relevant Mm -hmm. if you want to know if someone's good at welding metal watch them weld metal Mm -hmm. don't ask them to fill a survey Mm -hmm. right don't worry about what grades they get Don't, don't don't worry about if they're an introvert or if they're a man or a woman who cares watch them weld metal. And so we sat down and said, Hey, wouldn't it be great if we could find a way just like in hospitality where, you know, in a restaurant, you say, come in and do a shift in the kitchen where Mm -hmm. we could use technology to create that experience 
for every job uh, at mm. scale in parallel, just like in the movie <laughs> business, another industry that's inspired us, they say, come and audition for the part. I don't care if you've done these 10 yeah. other parts. You might have been great at these 10 other parts, but mm-hmm. you're not going to be great for this one. Or maybe mm-hmm. you've never made a movie, but hey, you're going to be, you're a phenomenal talent that's not, that hasn't been discovered yet. So let's give mm-hmm. you a chance to audition. So we took this concept of job trial and we brought it online and we said, if you could recreate this online and do it at scale, we're removing all this noise from the hiring process. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that sounds amazing. Um, you used uh, a couple of examples there, uh, the welder, um, the actor. So what are examples of putting people um, at work into practice? Say, can you give me some examples, maybe like a marketing example, yeah. sales example? Like what, what is a typical business startup, whatever come to you for and, and how would you actually vet for the right talent? Yeah, so in sales, imagine doing um, a mock cold call or writing a prospecting email. Imagine dealing with objections, having to handle objections mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a, um, a customer service role. You might have to deal with a difficult customer. You might have to um, complete a bunch of tasks that are related to, um, you, you might have tickets, uh, support mm-hmm. tickets that, that you have to resolve and you might have to think about you know, do I offer a discount? When do I escalate? How do I handle, you know, all, all these kind of situations in a financial role, you might have to um, do something in Excel. You might have to reconcile the ledger or calculate um, the cost, the valuation of something, um, or, or you might have to, um, you know, run payroll and do something, yeah. do something like that. And in a marketing role, um, you might have to work out a strategy to, um, you know, to get, uh, to get visitors to a website in a product uh, role, you might have to redesign an onboarding flow or a user experience. And so we try and get as close as possible um, to what they're actually going to do. Now there are yeah. clearly some scenarios where, um, or, or some role types where it makes less sense, like performing cardiothoracic surgery. Um, but, mm-hmm. but in um, the vast, vast majority of jobs and certainly in, in, in information jobs or knowledge worker um, type roles uh, that you can simulate um, a large amount of, of the role in a very short space of time. And and you can do it in a way that's asynchronous so that the, the, the recruiter or the hiring manager doesn't have to be present while those tasks uh, are being completed and that um, those responses could then be analyzed. And, And so that's how we think about it. We always start from, what does success look like in the role? What are the important tasks that would need to be completed? Maybe it's writing code. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the important tasks? Maybe it's presenting to a board. Maybe it's doing a budget. Maybe it's presenting, preparing a sales deck. What are those tasks that matter for that role? And, and how should they be completed in a way that's going to make that person successful in the role? And then let's use that. That, that then informs how the assessment um, is, is designed. And we try and get, that's what we're always searching for. How do we get as close as possible to a day in the life, to the role itself? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, so using, um, using other examples around talent acquisition and um, job application and so forth. So let's use LinkedIn. LinkedIn, correct me if I'm wrong, the way you say it, optimizes for 
um, speed and less friction in terms of um, when people are applying for jobs. So there's the easy apply button, which will uh, effectively pre-populate all of your details in seconds and you can apply to, um, I guess, hundreds of roles a day if you wanted to. Um, how do you, like, how long does a typical assessment take? What stage of the funnel is it in? And how do you get buy-in from job seekers, you know, to, to make it look and feel like Vervo is um, something that is going to help them get a job rather than something that's cumbersome uh, in order for them to, to actually apply? How do you think about that? You, you said it in the question. It's the, the most important thing is positioning mm -hmm. this as an opportunity for someone to succeed. And mm -hmm. um, it's not an additional impost. It's instead of driving to an interview or filling out a form or doing 10 phone screens and all these other things that aren't actually uh, additive usually to the job seeker, they're, mm -hmm. they're quite wasteful. Um, and they're not additive to the company. And, and so it's it's taking the first two things we typically replace are resumes and phone screens, and then we replace about two-thirds of interviews. And, and so instead, in 20 to 60 minutes, and it really depends on the role, and I can come back to that, of time, you're, um, as a candidate, you show, you're putting your best foot forward, you're showcasing what you actually can do in the context of the job itself and that company, which is really important instead of being eliminated based on your demographics or your you know, work experience or your grades or some other signal that is not predictive of performance. So you, you get an opportunity to put your best foot forward. You're doing it in a fraction of the time you would normally spend commuting to interviews and doing five interviews and phone screens and all, the, all these other things. And from the company's perspective, they're only gonna have to interview a small fraction of people. And when they do, they already know they can do the job. Their skills are being verified in the context yeah. of the role. Now, where yeah. it sits in the funnel is usually close to the top, um, typically for really sort of ultra high volume roles in retail, mm -hmm. hospitality, warehouse, it would be seven to 10 minutes mm -hmm. for the sort of knowledge worker, high skill type roles. It might be 60 minutes for an enterprise sales role or a, an engineer and it might sit in the middle of the funnel. So if they're harder to fill roles, you might want to spend more time at the top on candidate engagement and attraction mm -hmm. particularly in this market, mm -hmm. um, but you shouldn't um, lower your standards in terms of rigor. And I don't think it's a good signal to a candidate to say, well, we're just going to hire anyone with a heartbeat. Um, uh -huh. You want to hire people who have proven their skills and can do the job. Um, and so where it sits in the funnel and how long the assessment is really depends on the brand of that company, the complexity, the role, market conditions, et cetera. Um, but typically it's in the top half of the, of the hiring funnel. Hey, 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 let me tell you something interesting about hiring. Right now, it sucks. It's hard, it's also expensive, but it doesn't have to be. If you hire remotely with Athena, you'll skip the hurdles of having spectacular people on your team. And no, you'll pay far less than you think. We save businesses like yours up to 70% of typical hiring costs. That's up to 80 grand per account executive person per year. You could use that leftover cashola to scale. What are you waiting for? Head over to www.athena.io rare to learn more. 
That's www.athyma.io slash rare. You you mentioned that. Sorry, sorry, you go. No, you go. I'm hot, mate. I talk all the time. Don't worry about me. <laughs> yeah, you you <laughs> you mentioned yeah you mentioned something that I I was waiting for the right opportunity to ask. You talked about uh, how companies try to you know talk um the nuances of each company you know because my big question has always been like since I read about Verve was like how do people accept these like as a business owner how do I know that. Because some people's questions would be like the nuances of their business, for example, culture, and you know maybe they feel like a role is uh, more specific, uh, like is more detailed than Bevo can, you know what's I don't know can test for. So like, how do you you know deal with those kind of situations where you're trying to tell them that like, look, we need to. What's more important is that the person can do the job. Another limitation is like ref, um, referrals and you know personal relationships, which is the reason why Bebo exists in the first place, you know, trying to stop, like, make more qualified people take the role and everything. So how do you keep those two things, you know, culture and then, you know, human affinity for referrals and people that are familiar, you know, how does, how does Bebo stand in between two of them? Yeah, so the, f- the first thing is companies need to commit to having a consistent process um yeah. so, so let's take a step back our mission is to make hiring about merit not background and that's what we yeah. say for the client and then they need to commit to that so they need to commit to having a process that's based on merit mm. not background no yeah. there's no favors everyone does the yeah. assessment everyone yeah. is judged on, under the same conditions everyone's mm. evaluated and ju- judges is a harsh word evaluated everyone's given the yeah. same opportunity okay yeah and, and so that's the first thing now if you've come from a referral wonderful if you're yeah. uh, you know a superstar wonderful well then the assessment should be easy it should be yeah. great you should you should stand out if you've yeah. got a great a big reputation but you don't do mm. well in the assessment well something well something's something's wrong something's yeah. up right okay mm. so that's the first thing second thing is to hire a human being, you know, humans are complex characters. We're not robots. There yeah. is no perfect hire. There is no perfect employee. Okay. Mm-hmm. There are just different levels of performance, different levels of fit at different times in different contexts. Yeah. Yeah. So when we talk about, let's talk about engineering, knowing someone can write code, that's good. That's not enough. What if they don't follow the instructions in a Jira ticker? What if they don't listen to feedback? What if they're arrogant? What if they're not a good team player? So many factors go into. So there will be parts of an assessment that are really um, uh, job specific. So performing functions like designing or selling. And then there will be parts of an assessment that are more um, general work skills, applicable to many jobs like attention to detail or openness to feedback. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and, and they need to be contextualized. So our assessments okay. are all custom. Now you, they will uh, take in exit. So we've got hundreds of thousands of existing questions, but you can piece them together in any way you want to make the assessment mm. really yours. And you can mm. completely edit or create from scratch. You can essentially end up, you'll end up with something that's tailored to your company and your situation. Yeah. And so yeah. I'll, I'll give a real example. Like let's say this is 
let's take a designer role. Okay. So a designer at a startup is a different job to a role with the same job title at a huge accounting firm. True. At at, at the accounting firm, they're going to want you to present to committees and do things in a certain way. And Mm. at a startup, be like, why haven't you shipped this already? Mm. You know? And, Mm. and so Yes, it's the same title and yes, you need to design, but the way that you perform your job is going to be. Yeah. And so the assessment needs to uh, bring that to life, showcase that, yeah. give candidates an opportunity to, um, to, sh- to show that. And so that, yeah. uh, hopefully that answers what. Yeah, what it did asked. wonderfully. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's not his first rodeo. It's not his first. It was a good, solid answer. I thought, oh, he's got him here. He's got him. <laughs> nah, kidding. Um, so, so, uh, Omer, so you've obviously got some um, some great traction um, with with Verbo and, and some amazing um, logos and so forth on your on your side of of, of key um, customers, clients, and so forth. Um, how has COVID affected? Vervo, has it been um, a shot in the arm? Has it been uh, a difficult period? And and how has uh, how has it changed the way that people look at uh, talent acquisition in your eyes? So there's a combination of forces in the market. Um, uh, so when the pandemic started, the first thing that happened was uncertainty and panic, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Um, a lot of companies stopped hiring. A lot of companies um, reduce the size of their workforce, uh, mm. let people go, and a lot of companies froze budgets for new investment in tools mm. like ours. So that, that's that's the first thing. Um, and the other thing is um, there was genuine uncertainty, not just from a business perspective, but people were worried about their health. Um, people were um, uh, in lockdown. People were... Um, doing homeschooling and remote learning. And, and so they were sort of scared and distracted and, 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 and uncomfortable, which makes it harder to, to transact, to do business. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one um, component of it. And then another sort of part of it is um, everyone went online. Everyone had to all of a sudden go on the internet to do all mm-hmm. their hiring, to do everything yeah. because you couldn't, do that physically and yeah. so all of a sudden um companies were forced to do things differently um, a lot of industries including industries that we support um healthcare aged care logistics um uh groceries um you know um were, were all of a sudden essential industries uh, where you buy your food uh, getting medical health and so those industries were hiring like crazy and needed technology. And so, and so really it was kind of chaos. We saw in, in, in from the beginning to the end of, uh, for most of last year, it was just some of our customers were um, just going crazy yeah. and other customers were basically going out of business. Yeah. Really struggling. It was exactly like that, wasn't it? Uh, and and so that's what, it, that's what, that's what it felt like uh, at the time. And then it sort of settled, started to settle down a bit. And there was this false dawn at the end of last year that we're getting to the end of 2020 and everything will be fine. And then Delta came yeah. and then 2020, it turns out that 2021 was still 2020. Um, but 2020 <laughs> lasted for about 18 months. 2020 was the warm up for 2021. Right. Um, 
normally a year goes for 12 months, but 2020 <laughs> seemed to go for 18 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so um, it's, a, it's a really interesting, it's had a really interesting effect. I think long-term um, it'll be positive in the sense that everyone's realized now that you can hire people on the internet. You can work remotely. You can work yeah. with people who don't live in the same city. You can raise money from people who don't, who you've never met. You can do all these things, mm-hmm. um, but it'll take time for the world to catch up. I think people still haven't found their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, from our perspective, what we've seen is people have taken the first step to, to realize, okay, I can do things digitally now, which is wonderful. The next step is to realize I don't want to just replace what I was doing before with some online version of that. I want to get rid of these traditional methods completely because they just don't predict performance and they're biased. Mm. Actually, yeah. skills-based hiring and merit-based hiring, mm. and that's a bigger leap. That's a change in behavior. It's a change in mindset. And so mm. that's that's what we'll be preaching um, till the end of days. Mm. Uh, um, so... Obviously, with the new um, way of work, uh, the the pandemic, um, global teams, so on and so forth, there's a lot of talk about the great resignation. There's a lot of talk about the undersupply of technical talent, startup talent worldwide. Um, So considering, like you said, you want people to be hiring on talent, um, hiring on on merit, um, how does Vervo, how can that play in? How can that help? I guess, bolster the opportunities around the world for um, talent in this market that is apparently short of talent. Um, how can your, how can Vervo work to, I guess, counteract this, this, this trend of uh, um, too many jobs, not enough all-stars, you know? Well, what a great opportunity to open up the funnel to people from uh, parts of the workforce that we haven't, we didn't traditionally consider right mm-hmm. um, and, and 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 so the same companies that have been talking about diversity and inclusion um, I'd love to see them now say well let's open up the funnel to people from historically ignored backgrounds from mm-hmm. underestimated backgrounds from people that don't have five and ten years experience in the exact thing that I'm recruiting for, for people that don't live in the city that I'm used to recruiting from and so on. I can go on and on. And, and so what an opportunity when, when candidates are seemingly in short supply to open up the funnel, to give every applicant a chance to showcase their talent, to encourage people from all backgrounds to apply and judge them based on their performance, not mm-hmm. on their pedigree. And that's what we do. And that's our mission. That's literally what, what we're about. Um, and I, and I don't think that a candidate short market is an invitation to compromise on standards because I think um, anyone who's a student of history knows that that's going to come back to bite you. Um, mm-hmm. You know, pay, I mean, you, you definitely want to pay market and you want to be aggressive, but, you know, com- there, there are companies doing absolutely um, insane things at the moment and what will happen and it will happen because it we've been around long enough to see this is when the next recession comes and it will come, they will fire those people. That's what they do. They will Mm -hmm. fire all those people that they've thrown crazy sign on bonuses at. And so in the short term, it's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. But companies that care about long-term employee retention need to think 
uh, a little bit bigger than what's happening in the next five minutes. And do I, and I want, and you know, do I want to bring people in who are going to leave in six months for a better offer? Or do I want to bring people in who care about the care about the job and the company mm-hmm. want to say, absolutely pay them. Great. That's not, I'm not saying not to pay, but um, there are companies right now who are basically hiring anyone with a heartbeat. Yeah. But that, that's, that's what they're doing. I, I mean, since when has that served anyone well? Mm. And, and so what we're saying, what we're talking to our clients about is um, don't lower your standards, <laughs> but position yourself in a way that you're competitive. Mm-hmm. Open up your funnel. Okay. Mm. And this comes back to what we were, we were talking about earlier, where this is not additional friction. This is not additional hoops. This is replacing the things that were the hoops. Nobody wants to do seven interviews with your company. Nobody wants to do that. Right. And, and so, and we've got work to do as well. I'm not just putting this on companies, but it's about positioning this as this is an opportunity for you as a candidate to not be disqualified based on your background, but it's an opportunity for for you to shine, to put your best foot forward. And it's an opportunity for companies to open up their funnel to people that they wouldn't have considered previously, which seems to me uh, like the most logical thing to do in a market where candidates are in, in short supply. And yeah. it's an opportunity to move very quickly because you mm-hmm. can have a um, every candidate evaluated in 24 to 48 hours and be the fastest company to make an offer as opposed to Mm. scheduling interview after interview, after phone screen, after phone screen, taking six weeks. And by then they've had five job offers and they're gone. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, certainly, certainly a game of speed uh, recruitment for sure. So what are some of the great kind of overlap stories that you've seen and that that you see regularly? So say for example, um, you know, I've heard of uh, uh, startups looking for sales hires with, uh, um, hospitality background because they're used to dealing with people, making people smile, making people feel welcome, building rapport. Um, what are some roles that you've been seeing with Verbo and with your experience that have that really nice overlap that you wouldn't assume, uh, you know, X well, came from, you know, Y? Seek hired a florist into an executive um, administrator role oh, yeah. using our platform. Australia oh, uh, Post used our platform to uh, create to bring people into a tech academy with no tech background to teach people mm-hmm. how to code. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. You know, we, we see this all, all day. Um, the, the most common feedback we get is I just hired someone I normally would have screened out. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, it's extraordinary what people are capable of if you just give them an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? And, mm-hmm. and so when companies focus on uh, the ability to do the job, and the potential to learn how to do that job. Amazing things can happen. I mean, we're helping um, Colorado Coalition for the Homeless um, redefine all their case managers so they can deliver better services to people suffering from homelessness and other um, uh, related uh, issues. Um, it, it, you know, we're doing, I mean, we've done, um, uh, we, we've tested literally. Uh, tens of thousands since the start of the pandemic of people in healthcare, um, and two thirds of those are for clinical roles. So, 
um, personal carers in aged care, registered nurses, mental health counsellors. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and I mean, if you think about the people that um, in, in those roles and the backgrounds that they could come from, um, you know, and so we're, we're seeing um, people from teaching backgrounds go into uh, marketing roles. We're seeing so many of these things happen. And this becomes possible when you remove the traditional barriers mm-hmm. and you think about how does someone get an opportunity to put their best foot forward so they can do great work and focus on the job and the company and not all this other noise of like, how many years did you work at this place and where did you study? I mean, the, some of the jobs that exist today, there's no, there's no education path. I mean, let's talk about crypto. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Sorry, where are they teaching that? Is that being taught at university? Who are all these people? Where did they learn all this stuff? Yeah, where are their qualifications? Before that, it was was SEO and whatever, Mm. Facebook Mm -hmm. ads. Like, where do they teach Mm -hmm. that? I mean, now Mm -hmm. they probably teach that 10 years later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so these people are self-taught. And so, Mm. so, you know, we see all these these stories all the time where people say some companies requiring 10 years experience in something that exists, that was invented three years ago. Yeah. Right. And so if you sort of remove all that and you just think yeah. about let's give someone an opportunity to perform and show us what they can do, mm-hmm. you are going to bring terrific people into your company, people who will surprise you. Yeah. I definitely agree to that. Um, that's awesome. So, Oh man, so you're CEO, uh, founder and CEO at Verbo. How do you how do you think about leadership? What do you do day to day to make sure that you're doing what you need for your troops and so that you can, you know, drive the mission, vision, strategy, so forth forward? I try and think about how can I be most impactful mm-hmm. for our business. And I try and limit, and there's usually like 50 things that I want to do, but only three of them or four of them at most are probably going to be, they're going to really move the dial. And so I try and, 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 th- and those things are really, um, the first is people. So hiring and, um, managing people. Um, the second is, um, evangelizing the company's mm-hmm. mission and story and talking to our biggest customers and, um, being present in the market. And the, and the third is, um, capital and investors and managing the company's money and um, making sure that we can fund our growth and allocating capital to the right things. And allocating capital is a way of signaling to people what, what's important to the company, where we want to invest, um, what we care about, what we're prioritizing. Um, and, and I try and not do anything else. And, and I also try to understand what are the things that I could do that would have a negative impact. And I try and not do those. So for example, as we grow and we have a, 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 a leadership team in the company, a layer of leaders, I, I want to give them space. Um, I want to give other people space to make mistakes so that they learn. I don't want to always give people the answer. So I, I also have to, reinvent myself and learn that there's something that maybe I did personally six months ago. Now I'm not going to do that and I'm going to give it to someone else, but I can't tell them how to do it Mm -hmm. down to the millimeter because then that's taking away their opportunity to 
have space to do that and learn and develop. And so if I stick to those core things that I think can be impactful to the company and then create space for others to do things that, that they're good at and identify what's missing, what are the gaps and recruit into those areas, then hopefully I can be as additive as possible uh, uh, to the company. So that's how I think about uh, allocating myself. And in mm-hmm. terms of broader leadership, you know, um, I try and continue to reinforce to people why we exist. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do it every week. Um, I write a note to the whole company and I remind people why we're here, what's important, mm-hmm. the impact of our work, um, the impact that we're having on candidates, on customers. And I also um, articulate a number of messages, communicate a number of messages that I think are important right now for things to, for, for people to, uh, to focus on. And then I leave it up to them and to other leaders in the company to, um, to, to reinforce that. So, are you at Verbo currently running a remote first model, hybrid model, um, on-site model? How are you looking at uh, at that, and what does the future look like in terms of how you build the, the the team, where you resource it, and how you you know continue to have a good culture? Globally distributed and remote first. So, mm-hmm. um, we have um, we're on three continents: uh, Europe, the us and australia Mm -hmm. we have people um in multiple cities in each of those continents Uh, everybody works from home we're not against offices um Mm -hmm. we'll um so the engineering team i think really wants to be co-located and so we'll probably facilitate that at some stage we're Mm -hmm. certainly not going to force anyone to go into the office large part of our our team prefers to work remotely and even if we make an office available people will still have maximum flexibility to choose Mm -hmm. um, how they work and and where they work from Uh, because we're working across all three time zones we have people taking calls at 6 and 7 a.m and 7 Mm -hmm. p.m and 9 Mm p.m and whatever and so Mm -hmm. they can also like go to the gym at 2 p.m and go for a bike Mm -hmm. ride at 10 a.m and they Mm -hmm. do all those things and I'm, I have zero interest in being like a FaceTime person or a kindergarten teacher. Like I, I'm interested in out, outcomes and I'm interested yep. in trust. And we, so we try and hire people who uh, can work or want to work autonomously and value independence and don't need a really prescriptive, um, don't, don't, you know, people who respond well to a, um, a, a management structure that's management style, I should say, that's not overly prescriptive. And, mm-hmm. and, and prefer some people drown in autonomy. They, they need to be mm-hmm. told every minute, you know, mm-hmm. what to do. And that people like that are probably not going to do well in an environment like ours. Um, and, and so and what that does is it gives us the ability to hire people in different locations. And now it's challenging because, it, you know, it's easy to get everyone together on a Friday afternoon and, and have, have a beer or on a Friday morning and have a pizza or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and when you've got people in like Florida and Arizona and Texas and, and Melbourne and Sydney and so on, not as easy to, to do that. Um, and, and, and when you're working from home, there are all sorts of interruptions and also um, the, the, um, 
the fleeting interactions where you can just pop by someone's desk doesn't exist. So you have to think very differently about how do you communicate? How do you manage relationships? What's Slack? What's email? What's document? What's phone call? What's zoom? And often we get that wrong and people like do some, have a meeting for something that should be a message or they send a message for something that's clearly sensitive. That should be a meeting, Mm -hmm. Um, me included. Right. So Mm -hmm. I don't think, I don't think it's like, this natural thing where we magically work in this way and everyone knows how to do it. I think we have to be taught how to work in this sort of asynchronous remote fashion. Uh, But, but, but that's, that's our company. That's, that's how we do it. And um, I think overwhelmingly it's been successful and people love it. And Mm -hmm. when people say, when we're in hiring conversations and people say, that they really want to work in an office, we say, well, maybe you're not the right. That's yeah. not, that's not going to be, we might have one, but that's not yeah. really something you should expect in this company that everyone will be in the office. If that's something you care about deeply, um, plenty of, yeah, other, plenty of other opportunities. Yeah, for, for sure. For sure. I think, um, yeah, ourselves, uh, very similar, trying to still figure out asynchronous work, um, fully remote distributed teams and so forth. And, um, you know, it's a continuous Continuous work in progress. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, so you mentioned trust and autonomy. I think that's key for culture, for sure. I really believe that. One thing that I, uh, I'm just interested to know is, so culture is, I think, how you treat people, but there's also um, there's also something to be said for vibe and energy in an organisation. And obviously, when you've got a good culture, there's going to be decent vibe, but how do you foster vervo uh, being uh, an enjoyable place to work, being fully remote. Do you have any kind of tips, tools, things that have worked, things that you're working on uh, around that? We've been talking about that quite a bit and mm-hmm. some people in our company are very passionate um, about that. And I'm probably not the best kind of chief, chief happiness officer or, or, <laughs> or whatever. And so what, and I recognize that um, yeah. I'm probably not going to organize the dress up party or, or yeah. you know, we had a dress up party yesterday, actually. How did it go? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. We had, um, we had the release of our new brand and, and website. So we had a gala event, everyone wore, you know, top hats and bow ties and, and what have you, shorts. but it was just a, yeah, yeah. Shorts and a, shorts and a shirt. It was just, um, it was a nice thing to do for the team, get everyone together, play some some fun and games. The, the thing is, um, I think we executed on it really well. It was really nice and everybody laughed and had fun and so forth. But it would have been better in person. It would have been. Everything is better in person. So it's, it, is yeah. a, it, it is an interesting one. At, at Athena, we have 80% of our team in Latin America, probably in one of series, about 80% of our team. And today they were all at a co-work, um, having a great time, so on and so forth. How do we make sure that in the future there's as many opportunities for our team in Europe and our team in, you know, Asia that that have culture building in-person activities? It's a real, it's a real balancing act and a real, uh, it's just it's going to be a continuous conversation from now until forever. Um, so, so I'll tell you what we've done. Um, recognizing that I'm not the the best person to champion that. Um, mm-hmm we we did um three things um one is we asked people what they care about mm-hmm. and the answers were surprising so they care less about that and more about like 
having some more days off and not mm-hmm. individual. It's not that they want more leave. They want the company. They feel guilty taking leave because they're letting mm-hmm. their teammates down. So they wanted for the company to say, we're shutting the company down for a day here and there. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, so that's an example. There are a bunch of other things that, um, that people raise. So we, we asked that question and then we responded to that and, and delivered into that. The second thing we did was um, I empowered people I basically said, look, I'm not going to organize dress up party, but I'm very happy for you guys to, you don't need my, I'm giving you permission to go mm-hmm. do all, all these things mm-hmm. and run with it. And the third thing we did was we then funded that. So we said, right, we're going to allocate budget to all these things. So for example, there's a monthly budget for people to have lunch with mm-hmm. each other at team lunch in whatever mm-hmm. forum they, they want to do that. And the company is going to pay for it. And it's a bunch of other things. And so we've allocated budget, which which really means it's not lip service. The company is serious about, uh, the company's leadership is serious about, about doing it. Now, um, my hope is that this will sort of grow organically um, until such time as we're big enough where it becomes much more structured. Mm-hmm. And and but really, it's up to people to to. And I know some teams have like games and they do all these things, mm-hmm. and other teams have no interest in that. And they just mm-hmm. want to work and have mm-hmm. a drink, and that's it. So people have different preferences, and that's why I'm always reluctant to enforce company wide whatever. Yeah. Especially when you've got people on three continents, complete mm-hmm. different cultures, different preferences, mm-hmm. engineering, sales, mm-hmm. all this mm-hmm. stuff, and not everyone wants to do the dress up thing. Many people mm-hmm. don't. I personally would rather pluck my eyes out, but, but, <laughs> but I'm very happy for other people. Chief unhappiness officer over here. While I've actually got a question for you. So while I, uh, while I was part mm-hmm. of our party, party planning committee, we have a party planning committee of three. It's only a small, small committee, mm-hmm. but just people, yeah. we, we, we gave it to the, to, to the to the people like you said Amara a little bit um what what have you how have you found it while I trying to plan with um Sophia and Josie and Diana to stage you know how to engage the team and and, and fun things yeah. to try like how's it been from your experience uh usually for us we have most of the time we just try to schedule in sometime in the week because we're all like swamped you know have the mm. thing to do mm. but then when we find some time we sit down, get some ideas out on what we can do to just make the team feel more cohesive, feel more you know, mm-hmm. together. And, you know, Sophia and Josie, they have like the best ideas. I have, <laughs> I tend to not, <laughs> I'm probably the unhappiness officer there, but like they have <laughs> such great ideas. Yeah. Because, and I'm just like, wow, you guys are so fun. And I'm, I thought I was fun, but these guys are real fun. And then they have ideas, <laughs> you know, and then we, we work on them and, yeah, we plan for them. So yeah, it's it's been cool. It's been it's been yeah, it's something I'm actually very happy to you know be a part of because it's like how like how do we yeah, like you explained the whole remote space we we have to look at screens all the time. You know, mm. if we mm. if we get to laugh, you know, and feel some great some dopamine and oxytocin, all of mm. those. Yeah, it, it would help, you know. It, like yesterday's gala, we, we laughed a lot, and the team feel feels a bit more, you know, a bit more together than mm-hmm. they they were maybe twenty four hours before that. Yeah, you know? and then yeah. the co working space. Yeah, so those little percent increase. 
premise. That's what we're always looking for, you know, those mm, tiny mm. changes yeah, mm. to build up yeah. the... The vibe. <laughs> the yeah. vibe. <laughs> the vibe. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's, it's, I think it's going to continue for everybody to be a, a real top of mind, um, top of mind thing. Um, I'm here. Um, I have one final uh, question from my end. Um, then I'm going to throw it over to, to Wallet to kind of um, wrap us up with a few rapid fire questions. Um, yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to mold two questions into one here um, because there was one one kind of area that that um, we probably could talk about for for 30 minutes, but um, and that's kind of product development and so forth um, and how you go about you know building world class product, but. Um, what is what does Verbo look like in five or ten years? You know, or, or three years if you if you you know if you don't um, if ten ten years is too far. What what does the future of Verbo look like? Um, and you know, what is how do you get there through you know product development? Like how do you how do you look at making sure that you can hit those milestones and, and build out an amazing product roadmap? So the vision is for our way of hiring to become mainstream. So we want skills based hiring to become the normal way to hire. And for anyone asking for resumes and cover letters, for, for them to be, for that to be kind of some obscure, like people using dial-up, you know, modem. Mm -hmm. uh, most people don't even know what that is today. Um, <laughs> that's where we want to get to in, yeah. in hiring. We've got a lot of work to do. And when we get to that point, you can reverse engineer and look at, well, what's our company going to look like? right it will be huge will be a very valuable company and all these other you know you can you can um talk about a lot of other metrics but we will have won okay whatever that that that's what winning looks like not yeah. some revenue yeah. number not the competition okay yeah. not some employee number not the amount of capital raised mm -hmm. so that's what we're working towards now how do we get there we get there by telling us being the best at telling our story and evangelizing um, this way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And we get there by delivering a great experience for companies and candidates, an experience that continues to strive towards um, being as close as possible to, to, to simulating the job. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that's really the key. And all the rest is just uh, execution. And that's not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to be dismissive of that, the execution is everything, yeah. um, but, you know, that we're very clear on where we want to get to and, and, and how to get there. Um, and now it's just a race of, you know, how quickly can we do it? How well can we do it? How can we mm -hmm. use every dollar in the most effective way? Um, mm -hmm. And customers will eventually tell us if we're doing a good job. Great. Sounds, sounds amazing. Creating more opportunities for, um, for more people world, worldwide, really, I like the sound of it. Um, so over to you, Walla. You can uh, you can hit uh, hit us with some some rapid fire. <clears throat> okay, okay. So Omar, uh, what is a really awesome book you've read lately or recently? Uh, I read a book called The End of Average recently, mm -hmm. which is about why using averages for anything is wrong. And um, there is no average. There is no average height. There's yeah. no average seat size. Um, and really everything should be individualized. Everything should be tailored. 
Um, and yeah. I think that's that's an interesting. Um, but there yeah. are so many wonderful books, Atomic Habits. Um, there's a, there's a book, yeah, that, no, that's yeah. a that, that's a great book. The hard thing about hard things. There's um, th there's also a book uh, um, about generalists and specialists. Yeah, it's, it's called Range. How um, how generalists thrive in a specialized world. Some something like mm -hmm. that. Maybe I got it uh, slightly wrong. The title, but um, yeah. David Epstein, and and that's really the book that. Uh, it's had a, a massive effect on me because it mm. it it really um, showed me that uh, it, it taught me that an analogous thinking is very powerful mm. to to sort of learn in one setting or one industry and then use that in a completely different area that seemingly yeah. related. Like to go from being a doctor to a dancer, yeah. Um, yeah, you're more likely to end up being more successful because you've got these other experiences to draw on. So. Yeah. I mean, I can go on, but there's some examples. Yeah, it was so interesting to me. Yeah, I could also ask so many questions, but yeah, we're trying to round off. So yeah, uh, what's one tool that you can't live without? A tool? Or anything, yeah. Um, probably Slack. I hate to say it. I don't particularly like it, but it's the least worst way for us to communicate rapidly and send short messages. Yeah. And Slack will be so happy to hear that. Yeah. And, 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 and That's me, the, the worst, worst testimonial from a, from a, uh, a customer of all time. Yeah. It's the least, least worst way to, uh, well, it's, yeah. it's, to do it's the first thing that I check in the morning. And, um, mm -hmm. and so, and, and, and so, yeah, I'd say, I'd say Slack. If you took that away, I'd, I'd struggle. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. So, um, do you have any advice for entrepreneurs, you know, out there trying to uh, make their ideas mainstream? You know. Yeah, keep going. Like yours. Don't mm. give up and don't take shit from anyone. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> yeah, the world, okay. the world doesn't owe you anything. No one's gonna give give you any, um, you know, do you any favors. Um, yeah. no one owes you anything. Everyone's going to say no. Everyone hates you. People are jealous. <laughs> Everyone thinks they know what, you, what it's this like. Is the, un, this is the unhappiness officer talking to you. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> but if you believe, if you feel compelled, yeah. you feel compelled, you must do it. And yeah. the reward is huge because you're creating something. So keep going. That's my advice. Yeah. I don't 100%. have any knowledge to impart other than just encourage. I can just give encouragement. Nah, you've imparted a lot in the whole episode, man. It's been awesome. Yeah, let me throw back to Doc to finish. Yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Cheers, Wallow. Um, look, I'm at, um, that's pretty much it from us. Where can people find out more about you, more about Vervo, um, anything else that, that you're up to or anything you want to plug? Um, now's the time. Yeah, I think the starting point is the website, vervo.com, V-R-V-O-E.com, um, and uh, me personally on LinkedIn um and we're pretty easy to find and easy to to connect with so and so is the team pretty visible so so that's what i'd say and and i also want to say that um you know i wouldn't want people coming away thinking that that i'm the grinch i'm very happy on the inside i just don't you know express yeah. that i express yeah. that i express yeah. 
Yeah, I can I can relate to that actually. I get surprised when people call me like very happy at Athena because I, I think I'm the Grinch, but then they're like, You're so excited. I'm like, Wow, okay. okay. And yeah. I'm very yeah. passionate about a lot of things and I enjoy talking to people about them, but yeah. I you know, I'm not necessarily like the Christmas party is not necessarily my scene, but yeah, yeah. But I'll have yeah, a six hour conversation with someone about something intellectual and whatever. Yeah. We differently. So for, for people that want to do the games and that stuff, I'll, I'll leave that to other people. And yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get my stimulation and happiness from, from other things. Um, yeah, your, your passion shines through, mate, to be fair. Yeah. And, you know, not everyone's... Wallow's, we call Wallow our hype guy, you know? Not everyone's <laughs> the hype guy. You're, you're, you're obviously super passionate and, and it's, been, uh, it's been great talking to you. So sorry, sorry for calling you the unhappy substitute. No, it was, <laughs> it, it was fair, but I wanted to. Uh, I, wanted to make, I wanted to get the real story out. Um, yeah. Thanks definitely. for having me. To, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Um, I'm sure everything that you say in terms of your vision in the future and execution, it's just a matter of execution now. Um, from what I can tell, you've executed exceptionally well. Uh, you're a passionate guy doing good things. So um, we're Team Vervo, um, allies all the way. We'll be cheering you on. So um, thanks a lot for coming on the show, Amir. And, um, and from our side, uh, that's a wrap. Thanks so much. That's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Man, this has been an awesome year of podcasts. I have a quick announcement though. We're going to be taking a four-week break of releasing episodes of Too Rare to Die to develop the show further. So that means no episodes for the next four weeks, but please bear with us. We like to outdo ourselves. Thanks for listening to the end and a huge thanks to the awesome Omer Molad for geeking out with us. If you enjoy our podcast, please support us by sharing your favorite episodes and subscribing on our YouTube, listening on Spotify, and every podcast platform you guessed it on the bloody planet. Too Rare to Live, Too Rare to Die is supported by Athena, co-produced by Matthias Rosenberg and Celeste Bono, creative direction by Josefina Cordova, and hosted by Bill Kerr and me, Walu on Lakwaju. Peace and have a great new year. Wonderful new year. Amazing new year. Nice new year. Cool new year. Anyway, have a not awful new year. Enjoy yourselves, guys. Bye. So you just got funding and you're excited to grow. You're going to need people. Great people but not so fast. Finding them will be very difficult, hiring them will be pretty costly, and paying them will be your biggest expense. After all, a strong team will build an epic business. Yep. But what if I told you you can save two-thirds of those hiring costs by employing global staff? Think of all that runway money you can save. We'll find the talent you're looking for and hire them too. Go to www.athena.io slash rare right now to learn more. That's www.athyna.io slash rare right now.